Good morning, everybody. It's wonderful to see you this morning and worship with you. My name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors here. And as Yin mentioned, we're having baptisms today. And so we're so excited for those of you who've signed up and shared a little bit of your story with us who are going to be baptized in our service this morning. And we also want to let you know that even if you didn't sign up and you're not planning to be baptized, the opportunity will be given today for you to be baptized as well. And so um, we have uh, everything necessary for baptism in the lobby. And when Pastor Tim comes up later and baptizes some of our church family and shares about baptism and what it means, if you haven't been baptized, I hope that you will have an open heart and consider being baptized. I thought I would begin our study as we continue reading the book of Philippians together by mentioning that my oldest brother, James, when he was attending a public high school, he didn't like it very much. So he went to my parents and he asked them if they wouldn't mind enrolling him in a local Christian school, a smaller private school that, that he knew of. My parents looked into it, but they said, sorry, there's no way we can send you there. It's just too expensive. Uh, being undeterred, however, my brother scheduled an appointment with the principal of the school. <laughs> Sat down with this gentleman and he said, I would really like to come to your school, but my parents say I can't afford it. And so the principal thought about it for a minute, and he said, how are you at changing trash can liners? And my brother became a janitor at this high school, and they accepted him on those terms. Now, he wasn't there at the school very long, serving as a janitor, attending his classes, until he became the worship leader for the weekly chapel services. So once a week... All the high schoolers would gather, kind of like this, in a room to sing some songs and hear the preaching of the word. And he was the, the, the guy who would organize and, and lead the band, kind of like Eddie Lee does for us here at our church. Not only that, but after being there for a little while, he also tried out for and became the lead of the school play. Pretty impressive, right? My parents, they, they started to see the positive impact that the school was having on my brother James, so they decided to enroll my next oldest brother, Philip, in the school. I don't know how they found a way that got him in. And um, my next older brother wasn't there too long until he became the next lead in the next school play. And of course, both of my brothers played sports and worked hard, and they were well-liked. And by the time my parents sent me, I was the third son to be sent to the school. When I got there, everyone already knew who I was. They didn't know my name, but they just called me Pamplin, because that was my brother's last name, and sometimes Pampers to tease me. <laughs> and um, there was a part of me, I have to admit, that wanted to live up to that name. My brothers had been hardworking, like I said, well-liked, even godly examples at the school, and I didn't want to disappoint them. I, I wanted to, you might say, uh, uh, be, be worthy of the legacy that my brothers had left at the school before me. And I share that with you this morning because as followers of Jesus, our primary calling is not to live up to the legacy of our last name, or to live up to the name of a school 
that we go to, to live a life that is, that is worthy, perhaps, of a, of a career that we hold. But our primary calling as followers of Jesus Christ is to live a life that is worthy of the gospel. That is a life that is consistent with the good news about Jesus that we believe. A life that matches our faith that says that we have been redeemed, made holy, forgiven, and saved by Jesus Christ. That is what God calls us to live up to. But how do you do that? How do you live a life consistent with such glorious and good news? Well, one way the Bible tells us to do that is to be united with one another in our purpose. To work together with other believers in our local church family to accomplish the mission that God has given us. You see, we often think that we alone, by ourselves, can carry out the mission that God has given us. That we can know Jesus and make him known just fine so long as we read our Bibles, say our prayers, and maybe even share Jesus with those around us. As important as that is, the Bible does not conceive of us carrying out the mission of God alone. Quite the contrary, time and time again. It describes us continuing the work of the risen Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit as a team, as an army, as a group who pool their resources, their energies, their talents, their strengths, their encouragement, and that's hard to say, encouragements, so that together we can advance the gospel in our hearts and in our world. And I have a hunch that the reason that God calls us to carry out our purpose in life together rather than apart is that he knows that together with all of us combined, we can do so much more than we could do on our own. We're going to start in Philippians chapter 1 this morning as we continue reading through this beautiful, beautiful letter. And we'll start in verse 27. Chapter 1 of Philippians, verse 27. And as I start reading here in verse 27, see if you can hear for yourself how we are called to live a life that is worthy of the gospel by working together towards our common purpose. It says this, starting in verse 27. It says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Paul, imprisoned, he says, whether I get to come to you like I want to, or whether I must only hear reports about you, only live 
a life that is worthy of the gospel. And how do you do that? Well, he elaborates. He says, striving together as one, standing firm together, not just to be united, not just to be close, not just to be friendly, but for a purpose. And what is it? He says, for the faith of the gospel, the once for all message of Jesus that was handed down to them from the apostles. The same message that Paul has been imprisoned for proclaiming that nevertheless he rejoices because it's being advanced all the more through his imprisonment. As he tells everyone there about Jesus and as the people of God are emboldened by seeing him stand firm in prison and they share Jesus all the more. That gospel is our mission. Our mission to preach that gospel and to understand and grow in our knowledge of that person, Jesus Christ, in whom we believe. And so he says, live a life worthy of the gospel by striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. When I was in, um, when I was in high school, the coach of the basketball team began to prepare me to be the team captain of the team, which sounds like a great honor, but I did not want to be the team captain of the team. Yet there I was, the junior, leading the stretches at every practice, calling, you know, teaching them the plays, and never, oh, I never got criticized in front of the other players. It was only outside of the game, outside of the court that the coach would explain to me what I was doing wrong. And I, I didn't, I could see what was happening. He was preparing to announce that I was the team captain, and I didn't want to be the team captain because there was people on the team who loved the sport more than me, who were older than me, who wanted it more than me. And thankfully, I missed a couple of practices when I got the flu, and that was all it took. Showed back up to practice after missing a couple of times, and one of my friends was leading the stretches, calling the plays. All of a sudden, it was open season on me to get criticized during practice, and sure enough, the coach explained that this would be our team captain. And when he announced that to the team, of course, I was relieved, saw it coming, but I also immediately began following his lead. Uh, when he would say it was time to load the buses for a game, I would be the first one grabbing the bags and carrying them to the bus. If he called a play, if he yelled out something from the sideline, I would pass the message on because I knew that up to five seconds ago, I was the team captain and I was in a unique situation where I could show the team that we needed to be on the same page together following our captain. And I ho hopefully, not in a small part, I mean, hopefully at least in small part because of me, we had a great season together. We really came together and worked well and respected each other and were close. And of course, we played well together in the games because we had a common goal that we were working for. We all wanted to win. And of course, you and I are not called to win basketball games, but we are called to win souls. We are called to grow in our knowledge and love of Jesus Christ. 
And what this passage of Scripture is reminding us of is that if we are going to do that, we aren't going to do it the way he's called us to do it alone. We need each other. We need to be on a team, each doing our part, pooling what we have and who we are together so that as one body, we can do together what we could never do apart. And so are you sick yet of hearing about VBS? They announced it like eight weeks out every Sunday with the biggest, most colorful slide that takes up the whole wall. And then they put it in front of you in the bathroom stall so you can't miss it. And you got a postcard mailed to your house if you have children, I bet. Maybe you even saw the Facebook ad that we run in the area. And so are you sick yet of hearing about VBS? No <laughs> Sign up your kids. Volunteer. Donate money for Bibles. I'm not sick yet of hearing about VBS. And the reason that I'm not sick of hearing about VBS is because I went to Kids Super Church. They didn't have VBS at my church, but we had Kids Super Church. And I can vividly remember the first day that I was old enough to attend Kids Super Church. And I can remember the object lessons that I saw growing up that were so amazing that explained the Bible stories. And most of all, I can remember the adult volunteers who showed me the love of God from the time I was a child in kids' super church and at kids' camp. And you know what? When I became an adult, I found them on Facebook. I typed in those volunteers' names one by one, and I added them, and they accepted my friend requests. Oh, it was such a relief. I would have been so hurt. And I don't post anything on, on Facebook, but from time to time, I'll see their family photo updates, their vacations, whatever they post, and I heart them every time. And I often wonder if they will ever know the difference that they made in my life. If they will ever know how real they made the gospel to me as a child and how I remember it to this day and follow Jesus in no small part because of the example of faith that they left for me. And so I'm not sick and I'll probably never get sick of hearing about VBS because I know that kids are going to come to this church campus who won't hear about Jesus at school. Kids are going to come who won't hear about Jesus from their parents or their friends. And they will sing songs and do intricate crafts and play games and hear and learn and see the love of God. And they're going to do it because dozens of volunteers will sacrifice their time to prepare their snacks. And because people will donate to purchase the Bibles. And because the prayer room will be staffed when they raise their hand to go and learn and pray to Jesus.
And because hundreds of us will work together, beginning months before we ever announced it on the screen, to prepare sets and lessons and curriculums so that together during one week, we could very possibly do more than any of us could do alone in a lifetime. And so thank you. Thank you for not thinking that your mission of knowing Jesus and making him known is something that you can carry out by yourself alone. Thank you for being a part of this church family and striving together for the faith of the gospel as a team. Thank you for preparing your lessons to teach the children in Sunday school. Thank you for greeting us at the doors as we come in. Thank you for setting up the coffee. Thank you for spending hours learning songs so that we could all sing together. Thank you for not just deciding in your heart that you will be a casual observer at a local congregation to soothe your guilty conscience, but no more. Thank you for striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. And as we do that, as we pool our gifts and our talents and our resources, and we see Jesus going deep into our hearts and deep into the hearts of our community and those who don't know him close and afar as we send missionaries and go on missions trips and do service projects, don't be surprised if you face opposition. Don't be scared if you end up suffering for the cause of the gospel. There's many who say that when the Bible mentions persecution, that you should never try to apply it to a church in America. Because the reasoning goes, compared to Christians all over the world and all throughout history, we simply are not being persecuted. And there's a lot of truth to that, isn't there? If you read and hear about what Christians are going through every day all around the world for the sake of the gospel, you realize we have it so good. And we are... We are not being persecuted. And yet at the same time, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul does say, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Which kind of makes it sound like to one degree or another, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And I'm not so naive to think that in a congregation of this size, that when someone asks their boss for a week off to come and volunteer at VBS, that there couldn't be a boss who isn't exactly stoked to hear that. Perhaps a boss who cares more, much more about the profits of the business than about you preaching Jesus to children. Nor am I so naive to think that a boss could retaliate over time for your consistent honesty, evangelism, 
and commitment to honoring and serving Christ above any prophet or any man or any woman. We do not suffer like Christians all around the world, and I know that. And we'll talk about those Christians in a minute. But I'm not, I'm not so naive to think that in a congregation of this size, that it's impossible that one of you has a family member who when they learn of any donation of any amount you make to the kingdom of God, to your church, to VBS, that they won't mock you, belittle you, and tell you what a fool you are for using your limited resources on something so dumb. And I'm not so naive to think that there are not students in a congregation of this size who want to follow Jesus with all their heart, who find their friends in school going down a path that doesn't honor Christ. I'm not going to say just snap your fingers and have new lifelong friends that you can go out with in the evening. You'll never be lonely. You have Jesus. You do. And you have your church family too, and we want to pray for you and support you. But there may be some lonely nights. There may be some mockery. There may be a time when you have to look for a new job because you realize that the promotions have stopped. But your love for Christ has not. And when that happens, for those of you who I'm speaking to, do not be surprised. Do not be afraid. And do not lose heart. But to the contrary, expect it. Be ready for it. And when it comes, realize that far from being a reason to give up, suffering for Christ is a great honor. Let's continue reading this paragraph here in uh, verse 28, the very next verse, okay? So he's picking up his statement about how to live a life worthy of the gospel and see if you can hear how it means not being afraid by those who oppose you. It says this, starting in verse 28, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved. And that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now here I still have. Paul writes them while suffering, while imprisoned, saying, Don't be frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Then he says, because it's been granted to you not just to believe in Jesus, but also to suffer for Jesus. Now, those are two strange things to put on the same plane. God has given you the gift of faith, of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ and the gift of suffering for Jesus. What? And we have to confess that that theme throughout Scripture, 
of what a blessing and honor and gift it is to suffer for Jesus is a bit odd. Because we know that sometimes the suffering we're invited to do for Jesus is brutal, especially for Christians in other countries. And so how exactly is it such a blessing and such an honor? And yet we know at the same time that when we face hardship, suffering, pain in the pursuit of Christ, it is only a tiny microscopic drop of pain compared to the suffering of our Savior who came as a living sacrifice into our world, lived and died a painful death, taking the wrath of hell on himself in our place so we wouldn't have to. And then, when we suffer, as we walk in his footsteps, as we pick up our cross, as he put it, and follow him, we rejoice. It hurts, but we're glad. Because it means that we are on the path of Christ. That we are experiencing just what he said we would when we pick up our cross and follow our master's example and continue his work in our world. This verse, just a sentence or two earlier, how did it put it? It said, this is a sign to them, those who persecute you, that they will be destroyed and that you will be saved. In other words, yes, you're suffering, but it's exactly what your Savior said would happen, isn't it? As we await the day of judgment, the day when our salvation is consummated. And so it hurts. And so it's hard. But we rejoice when we have the honor and the privilege of suffering in some small way like our Savior did in a big way to make us his forever. In Acts chapter 5, it describes... It describes the apostles being beaten. They're taken before the Sanhedrin because they're preaching Christ. And they almost kill them, but they decide to beat them instead. And after they're brutally beaten, they're released. And it says they began rejoicing that they were counted worthy of suffering for the name of Jesus. There's this magazine called The Voice of the Martyrs. I don't know if you've heard of it. But you can subscribe to it for free. And I hope you will because it, it will encourage you in your walk so much. And it publishes this magazine telling the stories of Christians all over the world who face incredible persecution for their faith and how people like you and me, through Voice of the Martyrs, get to come alongside them and support them and love them. And in one of the recent magazines, I, I read the story of this guy named Temi. I'm shortening it by like seven syllables because I'm not sure how to pronounce it. But Temi, he's in Tanzania when a pastor knocks on his door and invites him to church. His wife is a nominal Muslim. He's a nominal Christian, but they agree to go. And the next day, even though it's pouring rain, he tells his wife, we should keep our commitment. We should go. And they go to church. And there in this service, the 
Bible is, is preached, and it cuts both Timmy and his wife to the heart, and they give their lives to Jesus. A few years later, Timmy's in the same church hearing another sermon, and he's cut to the heart again, this time to start an all-night prayer meeting in the church. He decides to lead an all-night prayer meeting for six months. And so they begin meeting every evening at 9 p.m. They have a service, and then a handful of members stay behind to pray, take shifts, praying all through the night. One night, Temi arrives at the 9 p.m. gathering with his pastor walking next to him, and he says, I had the strangest dream. He said, last night I dreamed that there were Christians and Muslims all together in a room praising Jesus. And there was a body wrapped in a, in a sheet in the middle of the room with a light shining on it. And the pastor said, really? I had a similar dream. They didn't know what to make of it. They had their, their service and they, they left. But Timmy and another member stayed behind to, to pray through the night. And as Timmy was sleeping, it took him a moment to realize he wasn't having another dream when he realized that there were men with flashlights and machetes hacking him while he lay there. He heard the Lord uh, say to him, he says, grab a stone. And so as he fought off the lights and the machetes that were hacking him over and over, he picked up a stone and he threw it and he saw one of the attackers fall over. They were radical Muslims um, from a mosque only a mile away. He said he looked at them and he knew who they were. They lived in the community. And while he lay there, unable to get up, he saw the machete, his prayer partner, to death. His leg was nearly severed, and they macheted him three more times before they all fled. He said that he was afraid they'd come back, so he dragged his body across a field and onto a path, hoping that someone would find him. He, he, he prayed there on the path, Lord Jesus, forgive me. If I've wronged you in any way, forgive me and receive my soul. And he expected to die. But at 2.30 a.m., he was discovered by a woman who brought him water and called the police. It's a, a marvelous, touching story. I encourage you to read the whole thing in the Voice of the Martyrs magazine. But two more attempts were made on his life in the hospital. But he survived. And not only did he survive, but the 10 surgeries that he required and the treatments for infections and the months and months of physical therapy were all covered by you and me, believers all over the world who send money to voice of the martyrs to care for Christians just like this. And when he walked out of the hospital still alive, fingers not all working, not looking the same, but alive, he was so grateful that him and his wife decided to sell their property and donate it to the Lord as a gift to show their gratitude to God. He's currently being trained to be a better missionary to Muslims. Muslims who he's forgiven and who he loves. And when I read those stories, one after the other, after the other, in the voice of the martyrs, you can't help 
but see how God's people around the world face death and they are not discouraged. They do not lose heart. But instead, through God and his family, find strength to continue on, to share faithfully and preach and advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I hope that whatever, whatever hardship, whatever obstacle, whatever form of suffering we encounter, as we attempt to do the same, certainly it's not to that degree by any means right now, but for that reason all the more, I hope it doesn't catch us off guard. I hope it doesn't cause us to lose heart but instead to remember the sufferings of our Savior and to be grateful that in some small way we can know him better by suffering in his name for his work in this world. When I graduated from, um, from high school, I uh, was given a Bible. That was like the, the parting gift that they gave to every student who graduated from the Christian school. On the front was my name, and then right inside was a message from all of my teachers. Very nice. But there's only one message in the whole Bible out of all those little paragraphs that they penned in the pages of my Bible. Just one that stood out to me that I remember to this day. It was on the last page, and it was written by the principal, and it was just one sentence. All she wrote was, Luke, You've been a blessing to this school. Now, I don't know. Maybe she writes that to everybody. But it touched me. Because <laughs> I wanted to be a blessing to this school. And I knew I'd made mistakes. And I wasn't perfect. And I wasn't my brother's. And to see that line from the principal just touched my heart. And this morning, we've been told that our calling in life is not to live a life worthy of our last name. It is not to live a life worthy of a school that we went to or of a career title that we hold. Our calling from God, first and foremost, above everything else, is to live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, I hope that we will not try to complete our mission alone. And this morning, I hope that when we come together and say, God, show me how to play my part on your team, to do your work in your way, show me how to not be afraid or frightened when I encounter obstacles and suffering and trials in the path of Jesus, just like you said I would. Let's pray together. Will you bow your heads with me for a word of prayer? Dear God, thank you for being our God. Nothing compares to you, Lord. We put money on the throne of our hearts. We put people on the throne of our hearts, God. We've tried to serve so many gods, but it's not till the moment we open the clutch of our hands, release these idols, and say, Lord, you alone are God. It's not till that moment, Lord, that we remember 
that we were made to serve you and you alone. And so this morning, God, I pray that you would take the throne of our hearts, that you, by your grace, Lord, would help us to, to dethrone all of these false, horrible gods that we try to serve that are no gods at all. And we will worship you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength afresh together as one family committed to knowing you and making you known. We ask your blessing over our time together, Lord, as we celebrate your salvation in baptism. And as we eat together, Lord, and celebrate on the patio, be with us and be honored in our singing, in our talking, and in all that we do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.